This show is brought to you in part by the University of Advancing Technology. UAT is a unique technology-infused private college that was founded by a geek for other geeks. Our mission is to educate students in the fields of advancing technology to become innovators of the future. UAT's campus culture is devoted to continually nurturing a thriving geek community where everyone's personal lives and professional aspirations revolve around technology. The beginning of the 21st century is an exciting time to be in the technology community. Current subjects of ongoing research and scholarship at UAT include robotics and embedded systems, artificial life programming, information and network security, game development, and other areas of advanced technology. Check them out on the web at www.uat.edu. Shoutcast streaming provided by Versus the World Productions, www.vtwproductions.com. Hi, folks. This is the Emperor. I'm here to remind you to listen to the Emperor's Court every Saturday from 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern right here at vtwproductions.com. That's the Emperor's Court, your three-hour break from Internet porn. First off, I'd like to, uh, to welcome everybody to the panel. hope everybody's enjoying Comic-Con so far. Um, just as a, a uh, forewarning, um, the, this panel is being streamed um, and recorded for the internet. Uh, it will be available afterwards uh, for anybody who's interested in directing friends or, you know, whatever, to, uh, at, uh, at VW, uh, btwproductions.com. They're, uh, they're doing all the streaming services for Phoenix Comic Con this year. All the panels in this room and the two adjoining rooms are all going to be streamed to the web. So, Our guest today is uh, a renowned author. Um, many of you are familiar uh, with the Clockwork Century series of novels. Um, it's probably um, the only thing you're familiar with. It's okay. <laughs> I just personally finished the first book in the Cheshire Red series, uh, which is the new wonderful urban fantasy Bloodshot. Thank you. Uh, this is One of only two. Cherry Priest. Oh, hi. And thank you so much for coming. It blows my mind when anybody shows up for these things. I used to be a teacher. I used to have to like make people pay to come and sit and listen to me. And, and... Wow. Hi. <laughs> it's fantastic to have you. Um, thank you. I know you have a, a bunch of stuff coming out this year. Is there anything people can look forward to? Oh, oh crap. Um, I saw some test pictures for Ganymede. Yeah, oh, that's, that's been an interesting story. <laughs> um, publishing, yay. Uh, no, um, I, the first thing, I have four books coming out this year, not because I wrote four books last year, but because uh, that's just kind of how the vagaries of publishing. I, wrote, I only wrote three last year, so, um, so there's that. Uh, no, the first one was Bloodshot. And um, I wanted to, to, to do some, you know, I do a lot of really dark stuff, and I thought it would be fun to do something kind of funny and trashy and crazy. And so I, I did vampires, but not sparkle vampires, OCD vampires, who are like the Count from Sesame Street, only crossed with Monk, kind of, you know. Uh, <laughs> so she's fun. Oh, and she has a Navy SEAL uh, drag queen sidekick, who's, who's he's awesome. Or she went in drag. I figure you've gone to that much trouble to look like a lady. I changed my pronouns for you. It's fine. Um, so that came out at the end of January, and so that's pretty new. Uh, if, if the schedules stay the way I think they're going right now, the next thing that will come out, <laughs> I hate to hedge my bets like that. It's called Fort Freak. It's with George R. R. Martin and the Wild Cards um, Consortium. And um, I didn't do the whole thing for that, but I did the interstitial. I did the frame story, so the beginning, the end, and the pieces that kind of thread together. And that was insane. Um, but I'm really excited. It, it was just amazing. And after that, oh, that'll be in June. And I think in July is when the sequel to Bloodshot comes out. It's called Hellbent. And the entire first chapter is like a 30,000-word big penis joke. It's hilarious. My parents are very proud. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I said that in an interview somewhere, and I got this little email from my dad going, I'm kind of proud. It's <laughs> like, thanks, Daddy. Um, so then after that, um, this, I think that's at the end of July, and then allegedly in the middle or end of September is uh, Ganymede, and that's the sequel to Dreadnought. And that's the four things that are out this year, I think. But things change in public. I mean, Fort Freak, the, the Wild Cards one, was supposed to be out like a year and a half ago. It's been in the can for a couple of years. Uh, it just got shuffled around in the production schedule. And, yeah. um, how difficult was it working with all of the different you know, authors involved with that? Because I mean, you oh, have to write a piece that's, that, that basically intersects a large number of other authors' works. Uh, yeah, uh, well the funny thing, it's the only job I've ever gotten, not because of my own material, but just because uh, like, I was young. 
relatively speaking. I, I literally one day, and, and I nearly had a heart attack, I got this package in the mail from somewhere in New Mexico. I'm like, who the hell do I know in New Mexico? And I open it up, and it is a copy of Inside Straight, one of the new wildcard releases, and a letter from George R. R. Martin. And once I stopped going like this, you know, <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Uh, and the letter basically said, look, our original wildcards people are all on social security. I'm looking for some younger writers, and your name came up. And uh, are you interested in auditioning? Because you don't just get invited in. You have to prove you deserve to be there. And you submit characters that he decides he likes or doesn't like, or you submit storylines and things. And I was like, oh, my God, yes, totally. I am a huge fan. This is so cool. And the fact was, I had never read any of the books. But George R. R. Martin sent me a letter. <laughs> so, like, I'm in. I don't care what it is, man. I, I had read part of the first one right before I got married and moved, and I lost the book. I liked it, but, you know, a lot of books in the world. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So I, I pitched some characters, and, and he liked them. And, and he said, OK, you're in. And so I'm like, yay. And this is a 30-year-old franchise with, what, like 25 or 30 books, none of which I'm familiar with. Uh, and, and then he starts calling for proposals for one of the new ones. And he's like, no, don't you new kids? Because it wasn't just me. It was me and a handful of other people about the same age, well, kind of in our 30s, kind of, kind of younger for a relative value of younger. And, and uh, now you new kids, don't, don't worry about pitching at the interstitial. That's something we leave for the old guys, because it's really hard. And, um, but then I got a really good idea. And I, I, I tried it anyway. And so I wrote it out, and I was like, ta-da, check it out. And he was like, oh, no. <laughs> no, 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 I'm really sorry, but no. And I said, well, what sucks about it? And he said, a lot. And, <laughs> but here are the things that don't suck, and maybe if it was more like this or this or this or this. I'm like, okay. So I go back to the drawing board. And uh, I tried again, and I was like, ta-da. And he's like, okay, this is less bad. Um, <laughs> But no, this isn't going to work. Um, you need more of this and this and this. I'm like, okay. So go back to the drawing board. On the fifth try, he just told me to stop. He's like, we're just going to use it, okay? <laughs> just we're going to use this now. Stop emailing me. <laughs> we'll just go with it. Um, don't thank me. He's like, this is going to be one of the messiest projects of her life. And he still didn't know I hadn't read the other books. He also didn't know I'd never been to New York. And it's set in New York at Manhattan's Fifth Precinct. And at one point, we were on the phone. And uh, he's like, yeah, I'm thinking about this one restaurant. We should have it in this neighborhood, off of this street. I have Google Satellite up. And I'm like, doo -doo -doo -doo. oh, yeah, you mean like uh, kind of across the street from this intersection? Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I'm like, totally, totally, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, but, but, uh, but we did it. And, and I, it was you know four or five hours on the phone with him every few weekends. And, and my husband's a huge Song of Ice and Fire fan. And he comes home. He's like, oh my god, are you on the phone with you? I'm like, yeah, I'm on the phone with you. He's like, tell him to finish the fucking book. I'm like, I'm like no, I'm not going to tell him. You get over here. You tell him that. And so it was just awful. And um, because it's not a story unless I have said something so catastrophically stupid that it stopped the room. Uh, at, at one point when George and I were talking, he said, now, here's the deadline on this. And I know it's a little tight for this first draft. Do you think you can make that? I'm like, oh my god, I am so neurotic, I never miss a deadline, I am on time for everything, all the time, I don't ever miss anything, my editors love me for that, and, and I will absolutely have it, Just, you watch me. And there's a moment of silence, and he goes, yeah, I don't have that problem. <laughs> and then I realized, I'm like, oh, oh no, I'm so sorry, no, I didn't mean, I haven't even read those books, I mean, I mean... <laughs> No, I wasn't trying to say, like, I don't even care that you're not done. Um, so it just got worse and worse and worse and worse. But, but he still let me do it. <laughs> and I, it blows my mind. And I feel like I leveled up as a, as a writer and just as a human being from having him. I, I mean, that was, the original project was only about, like, 25,000 words in the first draft, which is um, maybe, maybe eight or nine pages. It's not a lot. <coughs> and he sent me a, I think it was a 19-page single-space editorial letter. It was the longest editorial letter I'd ever gotten for anything. And some of it was like, I don't like this page. And some of it was, ooh, and for lunch they should have this and this and this and this and this. And I'm like, oh my god, what have I gotten myself into? Um, but it was worth it just to have his name on my resume. So, and, he, and he was just so nice and so great to work with. And, and mostly he was the person I dealt with the most. So awesome. to be redundant there. Yeah. 
Um, along that vein, you know, we, we've talked about what's coming out this year. What are you working on, you know, for next year or whenever it comes out? Um, for next year, the only thing I have slated in the queue right now is called, tentatively called Inexplicables, and it's another steampunk book. It'll be the follow-up to Ganymede, and uh, it's going to be back in Seattle, and it's my zombie Sasquatch book, so I'm very excited about that. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, people think I'm joking when I say I'm not. I know it's got zombie Sasquatches in it. I'm very pleased. Um, that's the, and that's the only other thing on the table at, at the moment. But um, I, I kind of uh, toppled backwards into a day job that is really startling and awesome and cool, and I'm not allowed to talk about it, um, which is aggravating. But it's kind of eating my life at the moment. So I've I've kind of put some things on hold until the end of the year when this contract plays out and. Um, I think I'm allowed to say I'm doing some writing for a video game company. That's kind of the long and short of it. So, Awesome. Yes. Oh, it's very awesome. <laughs> I wish I could blab. I'm like, it's a good thing I haven't had a drink or two because I would just blurt it out at everybody. I'm so excited. Although I will say this about it. I got the job through Twitter. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Seems to be the way of things these days. I know, it, it was fantastic. I was my husband and I do a lot of gaming, and I was tweeting about a game I was playing. And somebody at replies me going, oh my god, you like our game? I love your books. And I'm like, who are you? And I go to, it is the executive producer of the, the team that does these games. And so we hand flappy at each other for a minute, you know. <laughs> and uh, I said something to the effect of, well, I've always wanted to work in video games. When I was in graduate school 10 years ago, I, I did work on, on video games being the 4D storytelling medium of our time. And that was back in 2000. Um, gosh, I sure would love to work on some video games someday. Nice man. And uh, he was like, well, you know, give me, give me some time. I'm like, well, people say things on the internet. Um, about a month later, I got a phone call from the lead talent wrangler at EA. And uh, they invited me on board. And, and it was just amazing. And it's so cool. It, you get to run around the offices. Although it was really funny. The first day I was there, I asked somebody where the ladies' room was, and nobody knew. <laughs> <laughs> I was the only woman I'd seen all day, except for the person who picked me up from the airport. <laughs> And it was, um, but but they're, they've been really wonderful, and I'm just so excited to be part of this project. And, and it, it, the project hasn't been announced yet, and I'm doing a lot of the transmedia stuff for it too. So I just don't get to talk about it. But unless you have anything else you want to talk about, we can open it up to questions. From oh, totally. I don't care. It's it's. A, I can bullshit about anything for an hour, people. <laughs> Does anybody have any any questions? <coughs> Excuse me. Yes, I'm sorry, I don't mean to. I was very, very sick a couple weeks ago, and I'm still medicated, so I'm all phlegmy and gross, but I'm not contagious. So I would, I would like to say that. Um, point me in a direction. Any direction. Yes, sir. Well, the nice gent has asked uh, about Bone Shaker and why Steampunk and Zombies because I don't think the, the microphones will pick you up there. Um, depending on who you ask, that was the most innovative thing ever or such a ripoff of all these other places that had done it first. <laughs> um, the fact is I first saw it through uh, the Unhallowed Metropolis role-playing game and, and liked the look of that. Um, no, the, the truth is I just really like zombies. It's not very complicated. <laughs> I, I will try and make up things about, oh, well, in horror, I think it's very... No, I just really like zombies. Um, no, Bone Shaker was a funny story because it was the last book I was under contract for out of um, a total of five uh, with Macmillan. Well, it was Tor, uh, which was owned by another company called Hold Sprink, and then Macmillan took it over. And so th this was the last book I was under for them. And I was a really crap seller. Like, I mean, the book that came out before Bone Shaker, I could have sold more copies out of a trench coat in the park or maybe the trunk of my car if I'd been really motivated. And... Um, so I, I kind of suspected it was going to be the last book I did for them. And maybe I would have to reboot and uh, pick another name. Because it's much easier to be an unknown writer than to be an established writer with a terrible sales record. That's just how publishing works. And um, so it was kind of like, what the hell with it? What'll be fun, you know? And originally I was doing, it was a vampire noir called Awaken to Darkness. I wanted to retell Red Harvest with vampires that didn't sparkle in Seattle. I thought that would be cool. Um, but since I was aware that I was going to have to change gears, I started working on Bone Shaker on the side. And my editor, who I'd worked with for nearly 10 years by then, and she's a friend, and she, she said, well, let me see it. I'm just curious. Let me look. I'm like, you're not going to buy it. <laughs> You'd be crazy if you did. Um, but she read it, and she was like, you know, I think the time is right for this. I think, I think we should swap this out in the contract. And... Uh, Hail Mary pass, basically, because I was two-thirds of the way through a vampire noir, and I had four chapters on Bone Shaker, and my deadline didn't move. So, yeah. 
No, I, I write pretty quick, though. And really what had happened was I had been on this online forum, <coughs> brass goggles, and <laughs> there were some, some, some surly British teenagers who were going on about those poor American posers. They can't be real steampunks, don't you know? You can't, you can't have steampunk unless it's English, obviously. And I was kind of like, really? Why? Well, you know, we had this industrial revolution and lots of, you know, expansion. I'm like, check, check. Well, and we had lots of wars and things. I'm going, check. Um, and we had all this, you know, um, all this, the, this class injustice and systems. I'm like, we kind of liberated six million people from slavery with no social or legal protections. I still think we win, only that's the worst kind of winning. Um, <laughs> And, and kind of went west and wiped out a bunch of people on our way. Uh, no, I, I, I think we've got a case for that, too. And there was already kind of the weird west thing coming up. And I thought I wanted, I wanted to do an American steampunk book. And, and there are bits and pieces of it. <laughs> There's a chapter in the second half that basically amounts to and Zeke slept a really long time because <laughs> we didn't realize we'd lost a day <laughs> until we were putting it together. We were, we were literally about to go to print when we realized that my math is terrible. And uh, they, they were missing a day for Zeke. So there's basically a whole day where he just sleeps a long time, and that's the whole chapter. Um, but it was, I mean, it was, it was fun to do. It was an interesting, something different for me. And I had lived in Seattle just long enough that I wanted to write about Seattle. And they have the weirdest local history there. Oh, my God. So it was fun to play with. A lot, there's a lot of real local history in there. And occasionally, like, students, history students will pick it up and freak out at me. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Isn't that awesome? That was so weird. I had to use it. I saw your hand first, and then you. How was that? Where were you first introduced to Um, I kind of slid in sideways as an elder goth. I mean, show of hands, how many of you have a Vampire the Masquerade character sheet? There's usually, yeah, I mean, come on. Uh, <laughs> I first encountered, well, okay, um, I moved to Seattle in 2006. My husband took a job with Amazon, and we moved there from Tennessee. And... Um, you can, you, I found the goth bar. <laughs> I don't know anybody here. Go hang out here. And it's a really neat goth bar. And they have steampunk night. And uh, I was like, well, this just looks like Tim Burton to me. You know, but, but that's cool. Like, I mean that in a good way. Like, well, this looks like fun. And um, Unhallowed Metropolis was about to come out. And they were doing a book release party. And there was an Abney Park CD release party. And, and there's clearly a lot of overlap. And I kind of came at it sideways. Although, as, as a point of hilarity, uh, the Abney Park guys, uh, Robert is one of the nicest people in the world. I highly recommend him. He's the only one I know very well. But I was on a panel with Robert at one of these events, and it was in Atlanta, which was, at Dragon Con was like my home con convention. I'd been doing it for years. <clears throat> and Robert starts going off on this tangent about how different the goth subculture is from the steampunk subculture, and how it's just totally different people. And the steampunks are so much more welcoming and open, and it's just not even the same sort of thing. And uh, when the microphone finally got down to me, because he didn't know me, he didn't know I lived in Seattle, uh, I, I was like, you had your last CD release party at the goth bar. <laughs> I was there, you signed one for me. <laughs> and I swear to God, he goes, well, it was steampunk night. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm seen. <laughs> you know, so I, I just kind of slid into it that way. And, and I, steampunk has been very good to me, and I really like it, and I really enjoy it, but I'm also kind of old and lazy. Um, so, and I only pack carry-on, so I tend not to dress up for these events, and I just drag out all my old goth clothes, because they they're all black, and they all match. <laughs> just throw everything into the bag. So, yeah, yeah. And, and then you had your hand up. Yes, and we're very patient. Yeah. For the microphone, the uh, the question is whether or not it's young or adult or adult. Yeah, whether or not Bone Shaker is adult or young adult. Um, it was just written as an adult novel that one of the protagonists happens to be a 15-year-old boy, um, and and that's the long and short of that, really. But we got so much young adult crossover, partly because Scott Westerfeld was kind enough to blurb it, and. Um, and, uh, and, and Will Wheaton also has been just immensely supportive and he did the audio for Zeke's chapters. And uh, I, I, I'm friends with a lot of young adult people and, and you know. Scholastic picked up part of the ninth print run, which, which threw it even further. And, and, and it's like, well, this, this was an adult book, but you know, if, if kids like it, then fantastic. And for the first time in my life, I get fan mail from teenage boys 
<laughs> and <laughs> because most of my stuff, the Southern Gothic stuff or, or the, the fantasy stuff, you know, it tended to skew toward a heavily female audience. But um, now I have these teenage boys who are like, well, you know, I found this book. It's got a chick on the cover, but I don't know. It's pretty cool. I, I've done some, um, uh, <laughs> some teleconferences with, with schools and stuff. And stuff, go me, I'm very articulate today. Um, and I did this really great one through Gmail video chat where they could see me, but I couldn't see them. And the teacher was like, well, if you can hear us, we'll just, we'll just go forward. And I said, okay, fine. And these kids are like, hi, we're the such and such class of such and such high school in Chicago. And somebody in the back goes, and we're all dudes. <laughs> and I was like, right on. Wait a minute, you have a room full of teenage boys and you don't have any tech support? Because I have a brother who's a lot younger than me and I just ask him. And so she said, well, letting the teacher's like, well, let me try, let me try. So we log off, and a couple minutes later, the screen pops back up, and there's nine teenage boy faces <laughs> crammed into the camera right here. I'm like, there you are. Yay, there you are. Awesome. So it's, it's been really, I mean, I'm certainly not complaining. And um, it's, it's uh, the young adult audience, I mean, when, when kids, to broadly say kids, when, when they like something, they tell all their friends and make their friends read it, and I love that about them. I really, really do. And, and so I'm thrilled for the crossover, but no, it was originally just an adult book. And, and the subsequent ones, like Mercy Lynch in Dreadnought is not very old. She's in her early 20s. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, both of the characters in Clementine are, are in their mid-40s. Um, but, but there's pirates and airships, and people think it's cool. And, and I really, I'm, somebody always asks this, so I'll just say this now. Clementine was supposed to be out in trade paperback earlier this year, and there was a production issue with a company that was going to release it, so it's probably going to be more like January next year, and I'm really sorry. But it is out on audio. It's out um, in a bunch of digital formats, and you can get it. And I feel really bad when teachers ask me for it, and I can't give it to them, because apparently because um, they want teenage, the teenage, the difficult male readers and, and they're interested in this stuff, and, and they want them in. So there you go. Yes, sir? Um, you mentioned how Necropolis and Vampire Vampire is curious. What, what other role-playing games <laughs> do you uh, No, mostly. I, I actually haven't played Unhallowed. Um, I have some friends who did some of the artwork and did some of the modeling for it. So I, I've seen it, and I think it's interesting. And, and uh, But I don't really RP anymore. I, I'm going to lie about how recently I've played an NPC in a vampire game. And <laughs> just leave it at that. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Partly it's because I learned to play in Atlanta with the White Wolf people. There, a lot of them are friends of mine. And, and then I moved out to the Pacific Northwest. And I had kind of stopped gaming by then, largely. But I got dragged into a few games. And the, 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 the symbols and the gestures and, and the interaction is really different. And I just kind of wasn't plugging into it very well. So I don't do it anymore. Also, I'm really busy. And, and I used to for years and years. I lived in Chattanooga, Tennessee. <clears throat> Excuse me. And every month I would do the Chattanooga game, the Nashville game, the Atlanta game, and often either the Huntsville or Birmingham games. And so I had this little Toreador character who'd racked up so much XP. It was freaking amazing. Uh, but I won't tell you about my character sheet. That's boring. Um, although I will say that in Nashville, the, the vampire people in Nashville, they play out of the Grand Ole Opry Hotel, where they used to. It's so huge. It has its own zip code. We would just show up at a lobby. And nobody ever said anything to us. We'd have 40 or 50 goths hanging out, you know, rock, scissors, papering all evening, and nobody cared. It was great. And I don't know, I, I know that the, 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 the hotel was really badly damaged in the flooding, so I don't know if they're back to doing that yet. But there you go. Yes, Excuse me. Um, well, it's actually not up to me. Um, I have had some interest on the graphic novel standpoint, but um, I mean, until a, a publisher wants to do that, it's you know, I, I can't draw really. <laughs> um, I, I can't draw, and I don't have a publisher for a graphic. And I mean, I have the rights on that. If anybody wants them, I was approached by somebody from Dark Horse at one point, and um, it was it was at uh, it was at, I think it was at BEA last year. But um, I'm not going to name any names or even the position of the person who lost his card. And I never heard from him again. So if he, I figure if he's that serious, I'm easy to find on the internet. But and we've, we've had a little interest, just like we've had a lot of movie interest. But it keeps kind of not going anywhere, um, mostly because Hollywood people think that I'm an idiot. Um, I got an offer from one of the MGM people, <laughs> $1,500 for an 18-month exclusive. 
that would have cost me all subsidiary rights. I wouldn't have even had technically the right to write any sequels to any of my own books when they were done with it. And I was like, yeah, that doesn't even cover my rent in Seattle, so go jump. And they're so funny because they tell you, oh, we really want to work with you on this project. Like, I'm too stupid to know that once I've sold the rights, I don't have anything to do with that project. And they'll, usually if they try to contact me directly, I know that this is absolutely not worth my time because if they were pros, they'd go to my agent first. Uh, that having been said, there is something kind of in the works, sort of, with a very cool company that has recently released a very cool movie or two. Um, but we have been going back and forth with them for about six months now because everything takes forever. My agent thinks we might be in the last phase of negotiation. But that would only be for the rights, and that's no guarantee that anything would ever get made. So it's a long and short of that. Yes, sir. Um, do, do you have much input into the cover art for your book? <laughs> um, not really. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm sorry. I really am. Um, generally speaking, no. Once in a while through hook or crook accidentally, yes. Um, for example, when we did the Clementine cover, uh, <laughs> the Clementine cover was, was by the same artist who did Bone Shaker and Dreadnought, actually, but it was for the company Subterranean. And there had been a, fa a falling out with the first artist. It, it hadn't panned out, and, and Bill Schaefer over at Subterranean had gotten John Foster to do this cover real quick. And he's like, what do you want to see on the cover? I don't know if he's going to have time to read this. And this was kind of in the middle of a lot of conversation about spec fic and um, the whitewashing of the covers. And I was like, I want a big freaking black guy. I want him to have a big freaking gun. I want a big freaking dirigible and fire. And I want him to look totally badass. And he can't be a kid. He's got to be in his mid-40s. And, and I want him like standing on a pile of awesome. And <laughs> Bill just forwarded that email to John Foster. <laughs> and I'm like, but that's what I got. And it, it's amazing. I'm so, and, and Bill was teasing me. And he was like, oh, you sure you want to put a black guy on the cover? You know, uh, those don't sell. I'm like, it's not a bug. It's a feature. Let's do it. <laughs> and and it, is, it is done amazingly well, and, and for, especially for something little like that. Um, and the reason it's short is, is because there's a first refusal clause with Tor, and anything over, um, I think, uh, 50,000 words, they get first pass on. So I think Clementine's like 48,912 words or something. <laughs> um, but that's why it's short, and so usually no. Um, Although with Ganymede, I got some input into the cover because we were running so late on the contract negotiations that they contracted him to do the cover before the book was finished. And he emails me. It's like, hi, my name's John Foster. And I'm like, oh my god, it's John Foster. Um, because so many people, like, oh, I only picked up Bone Shaker because the cover was really badass. I'm like, I know, right? Because <laughs> I had nothing to do with it, so I get to brag about it. Um, and, and he was like, tell me what this machine looks like. Tell me what these people look like. Tell me how this goes. And th they ended up, uh, some stuff got changed that I didn't really approve of. Uh, but it's a good-looking cover anyway. It just kind of doesn't look like the people in the book. So that's okay. That happens all the time. If that's the worst I can say of it, awesome. And, uh, but generally speaking, no. Like with my first books, the covers were done by John Jude Palancar. They're my old Southern Gothics. And they told me point blank, what we're going to do is we're just going to give the books to John Jude Palancar and say, do what you like, sir. Because <laughs> we're so excited that we got him to agree to do these covers. And he did beautiful covers. And um, so, but generally speaking, no. It, the fact that anybody ever asks my opinion at all, I just... It, I, I think the running joke is that we're treated like royalty. We enjoy the right to be consulted and ignored when it, when it comes to writers. You've really got to be somebody high up and, 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 and ready to complain a lot if you really hate a cover. So, Told you I could babble about anything at length. <laughs> uh, anyone else have any questions? Was that a thumbs up? or? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Wait. Wait, but was there somebody else who had one that you were saying? In the red, maybe? No? Okay. No? Okay, okay, sorry. Yes, you, sir. In the blue, in the back there. Hello. Do you have any more plans for Eden Moore? Do I have any more plans for Eden Moore? Um, I wish I did. Uh, in real life, what happened is those books don't sell. So, I, so I, yeah. Well, no, the first one actually did kind of respectably. Um, the second one um, did less respectably. The third one was only in print for about four months, and I think it might have sold a couple thousand copies. Um, it's called The Series Death Spiral. And partly the problem was I had moved out of the southeast uh, by the time the second one came out. And I did a lot of my own promo. Because when you're in Chattanooga, I mean, 90 miles to Atlanta, two hours to Nashville, an hour to Knoxville, two hours to Birmingham and Huntsville, respectively. Um, Louisville's not four or five hours away. My dad lived outside of that. So I, w I did all this stuff and kind of went everywhere and knew everybody. And when I got to Seattle, 
No lie, I had somebody tell me point blank that nobody in Seattle gives a shit about anything that happens in Tennessee, is what a bookseller once told me uh, at the uh, PNBA event when we were giving away free copies of Wings of the Kingdom and she didn't want one. So when you're giving away free copies of a book and somebody tells you that to your face, it's, it's real precious. But that's why there aren't any plans for more. They just didn't sell. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And there's a little bit of a complication with that because those books were negotiated by a different agent than the one I have now. My old agent retired. Uh, it's not, it, it was an amicable thing. We don't like hate each other. The guy came to my wedding. I mean, we're friendly. Uh, but he retired, and so he doesn't represent the books anymore. It's split at Tor. There's a legal term for it. We basically legally divorced me and this agent. So Tor sends him his commission and paperwork, and they send me the rest and my paperwork. But my new agent is Jennifer Jackson, who's the VP at Donald Moss. I say new. She's been my agent for like five years now. And uh, we have kind of been talking about seeing if we can't get someone to pick up the mass market rights on them to maybe give them another shot in the market. Because uh, I really enjoyed doing them. I totally wanted to make it a Monster of the Week thing. Because the South is so weird and has so much fun stuff that you can play with. And, and I say that, but like I said, in Seattle, equally weird out there, but for the record. Um, so I would, I would love to do more with them. That's why I ended it the way I did, because I didn't know if I was going to get to do more. And so I kind of left it open to her going off and having adventures elsewhere. But um, I, lo I loved those books, and, and they were my, my first. And, and I liked doing so modern Southern stuff, and, and, and there you go. So I'm sorry. I would love to do more. Yes, you have been very patient, sir, with your white jacket. Mm -hmm. um, you can, actually, you can find them all at the Mysterious Galaxy table right now. They, they have them. The third one is not a matte cover. It's a shiny cover because it is a print-on-demand at this point. Uh, Macmillan has just given the rights to the POD people, and now if you order one, they'll print you one. Four and Twenty Blackbirds was the first one. Second one is Wings to the Kingdom. The third one is Not Flesh Nor Feathers. And the first two are still technically in print, I think. But you can still get them with the regular covers. If you can order them online, you can order them wherever. And they're basically, you know, kind of I see dead people and monsters. The third book has flame, which made me so sad because it was my favorite. It has flaming zombies. Because <laughs> I told you I love zombies. Uh, no, we, we, we blow them up with industrial grade pyrotechnics pilfered from a, from a baseball stadium. And that was really fun. So there you go. There were other hands. Here, yes, you keep track because I'm having a hard Serenity time. Serenity in the front. Serenity in the front. Hi. Hi. <laughs> you're never going to copy it <laughs> unless you want to kill somebody. Um, weirdly, I'm not lying. Uh, what happened? And, and anytime people ask me that, it's like I realize that you want me to give you some insight into how this goes. No, sheer dumb luck, my luck, not somebody else's luck. You know, rest in peace, whoever you are. Um, <laughs> I was shotgunning uh, queries, as you do, and I hit up all the big guys, including Tor. And I got a form rejection bag. You know, I, I could wallpaper a bathroom with my form rejections, okay? And, uh, you know, you pick up the pieces of your shattered life and move on, whatever. Two years later, well, no, about a year later, I was picked up by a micropress, and it went really badly. It was just, it was a mess. We'll just leave it there. Um, but about two years after I got the form rejection, I got an email from an editorial assistant named Liz Gorinsky. Uh, at tour.com saying, and the subject line was something like, oh my God, I hope you're still checking this email. Because I, I'd moved and I didn't have the same phone number. This was before cell phones. This was that long ago. I didn't have one. Um, we didn't have the same phone, didn't have the same address. She had mailed me something and it had bounced back. This is how long ago this was. This is like 12 years ago, 10 or 12 years ago. And uh, she's like, and her email says, hi, my name is Liz. I'm an editorial assistant at Tor. And um, we had an editor die and I was cleaning out her office because I'm an underling and that's what I do. And I found your proposal in a box under this dead person's desk. And I can't throw anything away without reading it first. And she'd been trying to get in touch with me for months. And I didn't know until, or for weeks anyway. And Because you know, this was, I had a Yahoo email address and people weren't even taking those seriously back then. <laughs> so there you go. But, but that, that was how I, I got my, my proper book deal. It was some poor soul had died, and, and, and a couple editorial underlings were given the task of cleaning out. I believe it was a woman, her office. And that is, that is how I got published. Don't go kill editors. They're very nice people. <laughs> they work very hard. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's random and weird for everybody I know, actually, who got in. There doesn't really seem to be one right way. But uh, yes, sir, your hand shot up. 
who am I reading right now? Right now I'm reading a bunch of stuff I'm under an NDA for. Um, <laughs> I read a lot of nonfiction, actually. Um, one of the more interesting books I read lately was called The Murder Room. It's about the Vito Society. The, the, the writing is sometimes a little overwrought in its way, but it's a really, really fascinating book. Um, I, love, I love nonfiction because it is so much weirder than anything I could make up. And I get my best ideas from, from nonfiction. And I have this ridiculous, vast reference library of all kinds of crazy crap. But I love Terry Pratchett. I'll read anything Terry Pratchett. I am presently reading through a bunch of H.P. Lovecraft for this other project I'm doing. And it's all stuff I've read. But um, I'm an old noir freak. I, I love Dash Hammett. Raymond Chandler, eh. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm a big Hammett girl. It's fine. And uh, good Lord, Kate, uh, Caitlin Kiernan's stuff is just really outstanding. She's, she's one of a kind. Otherwise, I'm just going to start naming friends, and that's just awkward. <laughs> I don't actually know any of those people, so it's fine. Uh, no, it, I, mean, I read a lot, but a lot of it is not really necessarily what you would expect, is, is all I'm saying. But, but there you go. For a question on the front? Uh, have you ever had a scene pop into your head, and you're going, how do I work this into what I'm doing now? Or do you just have to set it aside saying, this is something that I'll work on later? What do I do with the scene if it pops into my head, and, and do I shoehorn it in or fi- let it find its own project? Um, it depends. I, I, sorry, that's a waffly answer, but it just it depends on the scene. Uh, like like in, in Bone Shaker, one of the things that, that I, I really wanted to use the tower, um, the, 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 the Smith Tower, <laughs> brain fart. Uh, I really wanted to use this old tower downtown, and I knew it hadn't been built until like 1906. Uh, but kind of in, in my version of things, I had an idea for basically somebody crashing at a ritual into it, and I wanted to use that. So kind of the way I came at it, if I was going to have zombie hordes in Seattle, around 1860, when the original accident happens, there were only like 5,000 people there. And I'm like, that is not enough zombies. <laughs> so, <laughs> but Seattle didn't actually have any population until the Klondike Gold Rush. So I just moved that up a couple decades. And, 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 and with, with the idea that, um, you know, I've just moved everything forward. And, and I put that in an afterword that my editor asked me to write really, really quick. And so people keep accusing me of writing this snarky, smug afterward. And I'm like, I was just writing really fast. She asked for it in an hour. Um, but I still get emails from people pretty regularly, like a couple times a week sometimes, from, from native Northwesterners going, well, now I read this book. And I liked it, but I hope you know that the Smith Tower was not built until... Yeah, 1906 or whatever. And King Street Station was not even begun until 1902. And I'm like, you walked right past the zombies. You just, that didn't slow you down. But what really took you out of the story (laughs) was that I had messed with your local geography. And and it just slays me when people do that. And I was really afraid that was going to happen with Dreadnought because I'm from the Southeast. And Civil War nerds are, they're stitch counters and they're, Yes, and when the ARCs first started going around, the first comment I got from anybody was on Facebook. And the little icon of the guy, it looked like uh, Daniel Day-Lewis and uh, There Will Be Blood. I thought that's what it was, actually. And all it, this guy has one line, and it says, really, Sally Louise and Parkins meeting Clara Barton? Really? And I'm like, oh, God, here they come. <laughs> um, so I just kind of wrote back. I'm like, man, I'm just, I'm just having a good time here. I was just playing around. I have a random question. Um, oh, wait, wait. No. Oh, the punchline to this? Yeah. He's on the board of directors for the American Civil War Society in Richmond, and he invited me out to a bookstore, and I did an event out there because he was not, he, he was just thought it was interesting. He wasn't being snarky on the internet. And he really looks like that. I picked him out, I was like, oh my God, holy shit. That's got to be that guy. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Um, as much as I like bone shaker and the, the kind of the, the flavor of Seattle. I really enjoyed parts of Clementine and Dreadnought because you get this kind of uh, cross-country trek through all of the weird nooks mm-hmm. and crannies of your, your alternate history. Is there any chance we're going to make it down this direction? Um, I'm not sure yet, and I'll tell you why. It's because I have not spent a lot of time down here, and I tend to write... Well, I, I, I tend to write about places where, you know, I, I've lived, and, and my dad was in the Army. I've lived a lot of places. Um, Dreadnought, though... <laughs> Oh, thank you. I, I will try to come down here more often. Um, it, when, um, dreadnought, um, hmm, how to condense. Okay, uh, 
Bone Shaker, the pre-orders on it were really good, much better than anyone expected. But it was the last book I was under contract for, and usually they do multi-book deals. But Tor came to me, and they were like, well, because the buzz was really good. We got Mike Manola to give us a blurb, and Warren Ellis, and a bunch of, like, really... I seriously called in every favor I had ever... <laughs> people who I had met in passing once, just, hi, can I put this in front of you? And um, so the buzz was good, and they're like, well, let's tie her down to one more. And so they made the offer before Bone Shaker came out, and it was... So it put me in this weird position of maybe having an abor- another aborted series, like the Eden Books... Or I could start telling stories that were loosely interrelated and set in the same world. And the number one piece of, <laughs> let's just say complaint disguised as feedback, about Bone Shaker was that people wanted to see what the rest of the world looked like, what the rest of America looked like, if the Civil War is still going on and all of this stuff. And I thought, well, well all right, well, all right let's, let's show them. And, of course, that meant that I had to make it make sense that the Civil War was still going on after 20 years. And I get a lot of people going, oh, is this a Confederate apologist? She's made the Confederacy like so much bigger and stronger. Well, if they weren't, would they have lasted 20 years? <laughs> Let's be realistic here. Um, so it, it was really interesting. And I have some friends who, who including that, that guy, who, who are like literal Civil War historians. And we started talking alternate theories of things. And, and I tend to go with the John Scalzi school of alternate history, where it's not the butterfly flapping its wings. It's a handful of small. You seed it so that a handful of things kind of create this, this, this And curve. then those go to their natural. Progression. Yeah. So it's kind of, so we didn't do one thing. It's like, oh, well, you know, the Confederates pushed after Snodgrass Hill. And so then they wait, no, 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 no. Uh, just it's a handful of other things. And, and, <laughs> and sometimes people ask why the Republic of Texas doesn't come up in Bone Shaker. It's because I hadn't thought of it yet. <laughs> That's why. That's all. So there you go. Oh, hand again. Hi. Um, I pulled it directly out of my cavernous ass. <laughs> it's like a magician's hat back there, I tell you what. Um, you know, I just thought it'd be cool. It, it, it's like not any more interesting than that. I thought that would be cool, you know? So, like my husband always says, start with what's awesome. And, and the, the trouble, though, is that now that it's on the cover of Dreadnought, I get emails going, that is not the Dreadnought on the cover of that book. Speaking of covers, and this is also true and hilarious, my editor and I get together and tell this story to people. Uh, the original cover for Dreadnought, you will occasionally see two covers for it. The first one was Mercy standing in front of this giant crazy-ass train, and she's holding two big guns, and she's got her little nurse's bag and everything. And I realize it's early for the Red Cross. Please don't send me mail. Um, <laughs> but she's standing there, and it's like really badass. And someone in marketing, because my editor sent me this email, someone in marketing says, I don't think it's steampunk enough. And I'm like, she's in front of a steam train. <laughs> and I swear to God, the response that comes back is, can't we put goggles on the nurse? <laughs> no, you can't. And my editor's like, no, you can't put goggles on the nurse. She doesn't wear goggles at any point in the book. What are you, crazy? And uh, so they redid it, and they put uh, the hellbender on, on the cover instead. And, and that was a last-minute decision, which is why a lot of the promo material still has that old cover on it. So there you go. Very exciting. <laughs> We've got time for just a couple more questions. Anybody okay. else? I was wondering like, how long I'd been rambling at you. So, Cool. Yes? Where do you get your ideas? Am I organized? Do I outline or do I go seat of the pants? Mostly it's seat of the pants. Um, I do kind of a lot of pre-writing in, in that I love to collect names, like old, crazy old names and things. Uh, for example, okay, this is, this is true, and it's awesome. This is what I mean by truth being weirder than fiction. Uh, in Seattle, they shut down part of I-5 for some work at some point, and um, I'm sitting at home, and I'm doing some work on the couch, and the TV's playing behind me, and the local news is on, and there's somebody from the Washington Department of Transportation uh, talking about, yes, please take alternate transportation and blah, 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 blah on these dates because this is going to be shut down. And I glance up, and the guy's name is Jedediah Swackhammer. <laughs> and I was like, I need a pen. <laughs> Get me a pen. But I thought Jedediah had too many hard consonants, so I just moved it to Jeremiah. But like Minerick, I got off a tombstone in an old cemetery. You know, so, so I kind of collect. And once, once I have enough stuff that it feels like I have enough names, I have enough places, I have enough characters... Um, Truth being weirder than fiction also, in, in very brief, uh, if you've read Clementine or if, or if you're curious about what exactly that ship was carrying in Bone Shaker that it made off with, uh, in really real life, there was a woman everyone called Madame Damnable. She was a prostitute 
who owned her own household and at one point was probably one of the wealthiest women in, in the nation. And when she died, after she died, she did two really awesome things. First thing she did was she left her entire estate to the founding of the King County public school system because only the boys were learning how to read. And she thought that the girls needed to know how to read and write. So the reason that King County has a public school system is because this uh, elderly madam decided that, you know. So the second cool thing she did, she was buried downtown. And as property values started to rise, they started to relocate the old pioneer cemeteries from the 1850s and 60s. And when they went to dig her up, they couldn't get her coffin out of the ground. And they couldn't figure out why. So they hook up a couple of draft horses. They heave this thing out of the ground. She'd been buried under a mineral drip. Her corpse had calcified and now weighed over 3,000 pounds. So what they do is they hook it up to this cart and they hauled her happy ass up Denny Hill, which hadn't been regraded yet, and they buried her four inches over the new property line because they were not hauling her even one more foot. And I was like, that is so weird. If I had made that up, nobody would believe it. I have to use that. And so in, in my version of things, when she died, she was wearing a, a, a large diamond called the Clementine. Um, and, and they needed a very strong ship to get her body out of the city. Clementine was originally proposed as a sequel to Boneshaker, um, but it was before Tor was willing to make an offer on another book. And, and, and Subterranean wanted it, and so it went to them instead as a one-off. But, so yeah, truth is so weird. I just love it. Anybody else? One or two, maybe? Anyone? Anywhere? Yes? Were there any stories, books, or ideas you just couldn't get off the ground? Or you got Zillions of them. <laughs> I have the, re the reject file, you know? Because sometimes, you know, there's a little nugget of something in there somewhere that you want to come back to later. And, and uh, you know, I mean, you never know. Not everything's going to work. And, and that's okay. You come to peace with it and you move along. And, and so, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that, that didn't happen. But I'm kind of like, Excuse me, when you were asking about like ideas and preparation, mostly seat of the pants. I, I usually know where it's going to start and end. But I don't do a lot of prep work. I don't do, which, which is why I run into a lot of really stupid dead ends and I end up missing days in the second half of my book sometimes. <laughs> but but it's, it's, you know, it's different for everybody. But, but some of it you hang on to, some of it turns into something, some of it doesn't. Well, you know. I hate saying it depends to people. It feels like such a cop out, but <laughs> yeah. Fan fiction. Um, okay. <laughs> you would ask that at the very end. No, actually, I have a really laid-back approach to it. Um, legally, we are not allowed to. Because, like, no, I have an agreement with it's in my contract and, and stuff, because if 10 years down the line I write a book with a character in it that has the same name as something I read in fan fiction years ago, that, that they're coming back. And I have been told it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. It happens to everybody. That's what legal departments are for. So as, as a preemptive, they, they, you don't read it. And so when it comes to fan fiction, which had never been a problem for me before the steampunk books, they were the first books anybody actually wanted to play with, um, my, my philosophy on it is, you know, I, I can't stop you. Knock yourself out. Go to town. As long as you don't make any money on it, because <laughs> then it's not me who's coming after you. It's Macmillan who's coming after you, and they have a huge legal department. Um, don't make any money on it, and don't show it to me because you and I can both get in trouble for it, me and whoever you are, hypothetical fanficer. Um, but you know, I, I have better things to do with my time than yell at people on the internet. So that's just, that's, that's my policy. It's like you go have fun, but that's, but that's why authors tend not to, because we can get in trouble for it. Last question. Oh, fan art and stuff. I, I love seeing that. I, I have people show up like dressed in costumes inspired by my characters and they go, oh my God, that's so cool. That's never happened to me before. Um, I have seen uh, Lucio Gunning's uh, uh, crossbow and, and a handful of other... Uh, oh, somebody did, did a, a costuming, a graduate-level costuming project and, and emailed me wanting to know what the MW logo looked like. And she did like a cast bronze of the belt buckle and stuff. And it just fr blows my mind that anybody cares. And, um, and when I went to Tucson uh, for, for uh, the Wild Wild West Con, some people brought this little tiny girl who wanted to be a cowboy ninja princess. And she was about four. There are pictures of me with this little girl on Facebook. And her parents told me that she had been like in a preschool class or something. And, and somebody had told her that, that girls don't write things like that. And they had read Bone Shaker, and they found out I was going to be at Old Tucson Studios. And they brought this child out. She was wearing a cowboy hat, a tutu, and a black ninja costume. <laughs> 
It was the cutest thing ever. But they, they wanted her to meet a lady who writes books that, that are like this, and it's okay, and you can too. And, and they were, I forget who they were dressed as, but they also looked awesome. And so I am, I am all about that stuff, and I, I love it. Because, like, what am I going to do? Steal it? You know, I mean, I go window shopping at every event here. You know, like, oh, I want that, and I want to wear one of those, and that's really cool, you know. So you, you, you kind of take your ideas. You know, it, it's a pool of things, really. But <clears throat> So, yes, that's lots of fun. And I love that when people send me things. The only fan fiction I've ever read, as a closing note, um, I, I went and talked to, there was a class for uh, students who had some developmental issues, but who loved to read and were accelerated readers. So they had a special class, and they were all boys, who, who um, they were kind of being held back in other classes, but they were really good readers, and, and they picked Bone Shaker as one of the books they wanted to do. And this teacher gave me, it was eight pages, front and back, handwritten on lined paper. And she was like, I have spent two years trying to get this boy to write two sentences in a row. And he read this, and he wrote everything that happened after Bone Shaker ends. And if I could, what was I going to do? Like, not read it? I'm sorry, I'm not legally allowed to read this. So... <laughs> You know, and I was just so excited. He drew pictures of the dirigibles and everything, and so that's that's the only I've ever read. And I thought that was fair because he did a wonderful job. It was very exciting. Um, so you have a you have a booth on Authors Row. I do, but I'm not really there much. Um, I'm I'm really heavily scheduled. So um, really, if if you see me in a hall, if you catch me, I'll hang out out here. If you got stuff you want me to sign, seriously, that's what I'm here for, and I don't mind doing it. I love when people are like, oh, I didn't want to interrupt. What do you think I'm doing here? <laughs> it's okay, seriously, as long as I'm not in the ladies' room or eating, just bring me whatever you want and I'll sign it. And you're going to be doing a ton of other panels this weekend. I got a ton of other panels you're this weekend. You're on Scalzi's Big Idea panel later today. Is that today? It's tomorrow. I'm, on, tomorrow. I'm doing uh, just a minute this evening, okay. and tomorrow I have like four or five things, and then Sunday another three or four things. So I'm easy to catch, and, and I'm sorry if you don't catch me at the table but um, happy to sign anything, anytime, because I'm so dumbfounded and pleased that anybody buys any of my stuff. But seriously, I have my pens. It's great. Pick a color. I have purple and blue and green. And <laughs> I'm very into this. <laughs> Thanks again, all, for, for coming. Yes, thank you all for coming, and thank you for pointing in a direction. I am Gnomewise. I am Gonora. I am Iolite. I am Daxa. I am Grail. And I am versus you. I am versus you. And I'm versus you. I am versus you. And I'm versus you. Casually Hardcore. Sundays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. GMT. Only on vtwproductions.com. <laughs>